We're in a series of the commands of Jesus um, because Jesus said if you have his commands and do them, you prove your love for him. So two things, you've got to have them and you've got to do them. So what are they? And how can we go about doing his commands, obeying him and doing them? A lot of them are concentrated in the Sermon on the Mount, it seems like, and we're coming to the end of chapter 6 of Matthew's Gospel. And uh, the command I want to focus on is in verse 33. But I don't like taking a verse out of context because you can do that and make it say about anything you want to. So let's look at the context and see why Jesus says what he says in verse 33. Starting at verse 25 then. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. Count the number of times Jesus uses the word anxious in this passage. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, there's the second one, can add one cubit to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O men of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, which the word Gentile is just another word for pagan or non-believer, for the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Here it is. But instead, seek his first and his king, seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. And therefore, verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Let the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. I counted five times the word anxious is used in those short verses. And the antidote for anxiety is trusting in God, seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. Let's bow together. Father, as we come today, anxious over many things, the stock market fell apart this past week. Our 401ks look abysmal. <laughs> Um, problems at home, problems with a new school year in classrooms, problems at work. We can find something to worry about and be anxious about if we try hard enough. We can always find something. Grades at school, new classes, new syllabi with um, requirements that we'll never be able to fulfill. Help us, Lord, instead of looking on the small scale and our anxiety rising. Help us look at you and keep a view of eternity ever before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Seeking the Kingdom is the name of the passage this morning. I did originally have a title, Reordering Our Priorities, because that's what it's all about. We get our priorities messed up, we're going to worry. But if we put the kingdom first and his righteousness 
All the other priorities will fall into their proper sequence. But you get that one messed up, and everything else will be messed up too. I read a story about a man who owns an aviary and and, uh, sells birds, and he was moving them from Dallas to North Dallas on the Northwest Expressway. And he was traveling up that expressway, going about 50 miles per hour, birds in cages behind him on on an open bed truck. And as he was traveling, he looked in his side view mirror and saw a strange sight because the birds were off of their perches and they were facing the wind and they were flapping their wings as hard as they could go. Because with that headwind, they thought that they were flying. They thought they were really accomplishing something. And they thought if they flapped their wings harder and flitted around their cages, they could go even faster. But what they didn't realize is that if they had just relaxed and sat on their perches, they would have reached their destination just as quickly. I read that story and I thought about you and me, how much like them we are. We could sit and enjoy peace and abundant life that God has given us. But let something minor go wrong. Let a small, isolated problem raise its head, and and all of a sudden we are flapping our wings and we are flitting around, and and I would just bet that all the birds on that truck were sitting peacefully, and then all of a sudden one bird got up and started trying to fly. And that one bird influenced the other birds, and they're sitting there watching him thinking, well, if he's flying, maybe I ought to too, and they all begin to fly, and, and that's the way worry takes over. One person begins to worry about something and passes it along and and somebody else says, man, if they're worried about that, I guess I need to be worried about it too. And it just spreads like wildfire and we flap our wings and we flit around when we really don't have to. Something at work goes haywire. Something at home, we have a, a burden, a problem. Something at school we're worried about. And we just begin flapping our wings and trying harder and and trying to do what we think we need to do. And and all God says is just seek my kingdom and I'll take care of you. Seek my kingdom first and my righteousness. And everything else will follow. But our schedules get heavy and family pressures bog us down and we get some bad news and we begin to worry and Over and over again, Jesus says, don't be anxious. Five times in these verses. Don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. You know, until about 20, 25 years ago, I'd never heard the phrase anxiety attack. And yet we have medicine for it now. Because if you begin to worry and focus on your worries and anxieties begin to rise, your your heart beats faster, your breathing increases, your blood pressure goes up, and Jesus says... When you do that, can you add one cubit span to your life? No. As a matter of fact, when your blood pressure and heart rate goes up, you shorten your life. It's counterproductive. Worry is not what God wants for you. He wants you to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And everything else will take care of itself. Why do we do that? Why do we worry? Why do we struggle? It's hard to say. I guess because we are driven. We are driven. The American success story, someone who 
climbs up the ladder of success and pulls themselves up by their own bootstraps by hard work and accomplishment. That's what we want to emulate. That is our goal, but it is so earthbound. And Jesus says, look at me. Look what I accomplished. Seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. We are just driven to succeed. But the problem is we have different definitions of success. Money Magazine a few years ago had the article of a woman who worked all her life, lived alone, saved 80% of her income and lived on the 20%. She invested all that she saved, that 80%, in the stock market. And over 50 years accumulated $22 million in her account. Now, does that sound successful? Let me tell you the rest of the story. The woman lived alone. She had absolutely no friends. She walked to work instead of saving, instead of spending a dime for a bus ride. She never bought new clothes. And so the clothes she wore were tattered and torn and had holes in them. She didn't have a single friend, and someone calculated for the last five years of her life, she did not have a single personal phone call. No one cared about her. The highlight of her life was going to her Merrill Lynch uh, representative and looking at her stock portfolio, because that's what mattered to her, and that was her definition of success. Now, what's wrong with those priorities? She has focused on something that only lasts 80 or 90 years, and Jesus is telling us the worries, the anxieties you have are earthbound. Focus on something that lasts longer. A theologian has told us that whatever we think about most of the time, whatever becomes our ultimate concern, whatever our highest priority in life is, that becomes, that functions for us like a god. And the secretary was typing the bulletin and she said, are you sure you want a small G there for God? I said, absolutely. Because the capital G is for the Lord God and him alone. But we're talking about anything else that would try to supplant his place, that would, that would vie for his position of first place and priority in our lives. And, and those are not real gods, those are little g gods. Whether we outwardly worship it or not, it has become our ultimate concern. And we think about it when we aren't doing anything else. We think about it more than anything else. We worry about it. We're, we have anxiety attacks about it. We, that becomes our God, our small g. And God is saying, look, look at the birds. I take care of them. I feed them. Look at the grass. I clothe them. I know what you need. Trust me to take care of you. Seek my kingdom and my righteousness and everything else that is so earthbound will diminish in importance and significance. If you, if you seek my kingdom and my righteousness, you're going to have all you need. Now, that doesn't mean you can sit in a lounge chair and fold your arms and do nothing. But it does mean if you do your part, God will do his part. And you can relax and rest in him and seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And he says you will have all you need because that's what his word says and his word does not lie.
that does it. And Jesus tells us why we should wait on him. He gives us three real good reasons in this passage of scripture. The first thing is that he loves you. And I know this is the theme of the Bible. If you want to know what the Bible's about more than anything else, it's a love story from cover to cover. The story of God's love for his people and how he constantly reaches down to prove his love for them. In the Old Testament, it was the children of Israel. In the New Testament, it's the children of God. It's the church. It's those whom have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Look at the birds. They don't have complicated lives, but somehow they manage to get by, don't they? They don't have a lot of things they have to pick up and move when they change nests. They just go from year to year, and God takes care of them. And, and I don't know if you've ever looked at a bird closely, but the ones I look at usually look pretty happy. At least they're singing most of the time. They've got something to sing about because God takes care of them. And somehow they don't worry. I've never seen a bird look worried. They just get by because God takes care of them, just as he does the grass of the field. He adorns it in beauty. If you've ever looked out across a sunflower field or any kind of field in, in full bloom in harvest time, you know how beautiful it is. God does that with the sun and the rain. He takes care of it. And Jesus says, if God does that with birds and with the grass of the field that is here today and tomorrow thrown into the oven, how much more so does he love you? And he's proven that over and over again. He's going to take care of you. So why, why worry? I heard a statistician say one time, and I, I think it's probably true because I've actually practiced it. They say of the things you worry about, think about this, 90% never come to pass. And the other 10%, you couldn't do anything about anyway. So why worry? Well, you say, well, I've got to worry about the 10% I can't do anything about. No, you don't. That's just wasting time and energy, and it's counterproductive. It's, it's raising your blood pressure, your breathing, your heart rate, and it's taking away cubit spans of your life. 90% don't come to pass, and 10% you couldn't change anyway. So what does worry actually accomplish. Nothing that does more harm than good. God loves you. He's going to take care of you. The second thing is I want you to know is you can trust God. When has God ever disappointed you? When has he ever lied to you? When has he ever let you down? Now things might not work out always the way you want them to. You might not get everything you want, but God is always faithful and God is always good and you can always trust him he knows what you need he loves you he created you he put you together he knows every joint and sinew and fiber in your body why would he want any less than the absolute best for you now jesus said this i mean if you want to argue if you want to debate me yes jesus said this and you might say well look how he died he died on a cross. Well, that's true. But the gospel writers who recorded this command from Jesus saw no contradiction in what he said and how he lived 
and died because when we belong to God, we get the long view. Death doesn't really matter. This life is brief. Eternity is forever. And so trust God because he alone is trustworthy. I don't know anything or anyone else who is as trustworthy as our God. How many of you like the board game Monopoly? A lot of us have played it. It's, it's a good game. It's a fun game for family. It's a way to maybe pass the time on vacation. It is the most popular board game in the world. 275 million Monopoly games have been sold in 111 countries and 43 languages. The longest Monopoly game ever played was 70 Days Straight. Obviously, they were on an extended vacation or retired. Neiman Marcus had a chocolate version of Monopoly that cost $600. Um, we didn't buy that version because we would keep eating the pieces. The most expensive Monopoly version is $2 million, 23-karat gold board, and diamond-studded dice. But as I was thinking about the Monopoly game, the strategy behind it is contrary to the teachings of Jesus, if you stop and think about it. Because Monopoly is all about storing up treasures on earth and buying up houses and hotels and accumulating wealth and in the process trying to bankrupt everybody else who's playing. And so I was sitting there this week wondering, I may just invent a game called generosity. And everybody starts with an amount of money and the winner is the one who goes around the board and decides the best way to invest it in others. The best way to share it. The best way to, to give it away. The most cost-effective way to make a difference for those around you. Do you think I'd sell any games? Probably not like Monopoly because it runs counter to what the world teaches. The world tells us to, to get all you can and accumulate it and save it. But Jesus says, give it away. Because when all is said and done, it just comes down to this. Either you trust God or you don't. Either you trust God or you don't. There's really no in-between. There's no gray area in-between. And when you trust God, no matter what happens, you keep trusting. I was visiting a, a man who had cancer, terminal cancer, and as I went into his living room, he was lying on the sofa, and he sat up and began to straighten his hair and, and get his bearings. And I said, how are you doing? How are you feeling? He said, well, it's like this. I praised him when things were good, and I'm not going to stop when they aren't. Things won't always be good, but we can praise God no matter what because we can trust him. And when things don't go the way we want them to here on earth, let's move to the third point. And let me just remind you that life is eternal. Life is eternal. And Paul puts it like this in Romans 8.18. He says, the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared to the glory 
that is to be revealed to us. Let me say it again. The sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. So whatever difficulties or hardships or problems or troubles or sufferings we have in this world, in this life, even if it's 70 or 80 or 90 years, what is that in comparison to eternity? What is 80 years in comparison to forever? Jesus tells us that life is eternal. There's temporal life here in this world and there's eternal life in the world to come. And if you spend 80 or 90 or, or 100 years here on earth, what does that compare to eternity? It's like a split second. It's like the blink of an eye. It's like a wisp of the air in comparison to eternity. So sometimes I think about it like this. Our lives here on earth, our temporal life is like an eight or nine week boot camp that we are, God has given us to prepare for real life in eternity, in heaven with him. And I don't want any of us here within the sound of my voice to get to heaven and have to look back and say, I squandered my opportunity. I squandered my time, God, you gave me to prepare for living with you forever. I want to, we need to make the most of what he has given us here by seeking his kingdom and his righteousness and knowing everything else will follow in due order. Let's take a long look at eternity so we don't get so bent out of shape over small matters here on earth over which we have no control anyway. Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane one night and he sweat drops of blood as he contemplated what the next few hours would be like. And after spending some time in prayer, he got up from that knowing that he could trust God because the few hours he spent on the cross were not worthy to be compared to the glory that was going to be revealed to him and through him for the world. Against the backdrop of eternity, Jesus did not waver in what lay ahead. And so that's why he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The kingdom of God is not some heavenly fortress or castle in the sky. The kingdom of God is his rule and reign in your heart. When you give him authority over you, over your wants and desires and needs. And as you seek his kingdom, as you give him rule over your heart, all these other things will be added to you. The righteousness that he wants us to seek is a repentance from our sins and a turning toward him fully. And as we do that, he will fill us with the desires of our heart. Why is that? Because the desires of our heart will fall into line with his perfect will and not our selfish wishes and wants. If we focus on the kingdom and his righteousness, all is going to be well. And if we remember that God loves us and that we can trust him and that life is eternal, what we deal with here on earth 
might seem overwhelming at times. And if we focus on that, it can make us anxious and cause us to worry. And God wants more for us than that. So remember how much he loves you. He's taking care of the birds and the grass. <laughs> He's going to take care of you and me. You can trust him. He'll never let you down. And life, in contrast to the short span we have here on earth, is eternal. Let's get ready for eternity. Let's prepare for eternity right now. Let's bow together. God, I'll be honest, it's hard to seek your kingdom and your righteousness, which are invisible. When the visible that is right before our eyes includes our bills and the doctor's diagnosis and the relationships we have that are crumbling and the challenges that we are facing at work and with our friends. And so those things seem to rise up before us and, and take our focus off of you and our attention off of you. And so help us instead, Lord, to see the things of this world decrease so that the things of your kingdom might increase and the worry be removed, the anxiety decrease, and your kingdom and your righteousness be front and center of our lives and our hearts and our thoughts in our deeds, in our words, always. So when eternal life comes and is standing before us, we will be prepared and you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your reward and help us bring as many people with us as possible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.